Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone. This is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by fellow St. Lawrence graduate and Stanley Cup champion general manager Ray Shiro. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, and all the streaming channels. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Mike McKenna 56 Six Degrees fans, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you're looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, BetOnline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. I really like the Packers, but I'm rooting for the Bills. I would love to see Buffalo get a championship. That city deserves it. Such amazing sports fans. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for Six Degrees is also brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I know it's one of those subjects that we don't talk about often, but I got to tell you, the Lawnmower 3.0, listen to this baby rev up. You know what's cool? It's got a light on it. It's not always easy to see what you're doing, but with the Lawnmower 3.0, you can't miss a spot. It's an unbelievable product. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine that anybody would have a loved one that wouldn't appreciate this thing. Uh, it's why the Manscaped team has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months, a year and a half, perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 6degrees at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code 6degrees. Try it. Guarantee you're going to like it. Thanks to all our sponsors for making this happen. Now we flip it over to Ray Shiro. You have such a unique background. You know, I, I think if you just heard your name, you'd hear Ray Shiro. Okay, North American name, but you know, you have a Canadian dad, French Canadian mom. Born in the USA, lived the hockey life moving around growing up. What was your childhood like? That was really it, Mike. And <laughs> great to join you this morning. Um, yeah, my mom was uh, born in Shawinigan and my dad was born in Winnipeg. And they met um, when my dad was coaching uh, in Shawinigan um, and became player coach at the end of his career. And um, and actually, yeah, I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. So it's my brother. And uh, But my real name is Ray Jean. Um, that was for my mom and, um, and then my brother Jean Paul. So... Um, you know, I only lived in Canada five years when I was with the Senators, uh, 93 to 98. But um, I, to me, you know, from growing up and following my dad, it's kind of like being in the Army, I guess. But so from Minnesota to Buffalo to Omaha, Nebraska, to Philadelphia, to South Jersey, to New York, um, no warm spots in there, but that was the hockey life. And, um, you know, my Dad got his first NHL opportunity in 1971 at the age of 46 after like 13 years in the minors as a coach. So, um, 
you know, um, enjoyed a lot more. I was nine years old when he first got his chance there. So I remember everything about that growing up. So, um, I didn't mind moving. I don't remember packing any boxes or stuff like that. So uh, my mom's probably still cursing me from her grave. <laughs> I remember moving. <laughs> I remember packing boxes. I did a lot of that. Oh, you must. <clears throat> yeah, you must have them down pat. Yep. That's it's, for sure. U-Haul uh, Tetris, what I'd like to call it. With all the experiences that you had, I mean, your dad was a legendary figure in hockey. Fred Shiro, two Stanley Cups with the Philadelphia Flyers and the Broad Street Bullies. He spent a lifetime in hockey and a very innovative coach. Did a lot of things that people hadn't thought about before. What did you learn from dad, the coach? What did you learn from dad, the dad? My dad, I mean, growing up, my father, it was so funny. He was, even when he was the Flyers, he was there seven years. And, um, you know, learning from my dad, my dad was, he really wanted to go to law school. Um, and he actually threatened instead of going to the WHA back in like 74 after they won their first cup, um, the threat to go to law school instead, that was a first. Um, but he really, really pushed me and my brother uh, up to school, uh, you know, academics and all that stuff. And, um, you know, and pursue whatever you're passionate about. And mine was baseball, mine was hockey, tried to obviously keep my school work. And um, he, that's what I push on my two boys now. Um, one graduated from Boston college and uh, one was at Connecticut college. And, but that's, kind of got that from my dad and from that the coach it you know he i you know i don't know if this was on purpose or not but how i was just like he was i still remember when he was coaching the american hockey league in buffalo the buffalo bisons and i think i might have been in second grade or first grade or something like that and i still remember almost every weekend we'd go over to frankie christie's house and frankie christie was a longtime head trainer for the bisons and buffalo sabers and he just said I mean, he had a great rapport with the people like that amazing uh frankie christie in philadelphia frank lewis and jimmy mckenzie who i grew up around and um you know just you know joe cadillac in philadelphia really the first team services guy and but what i my dad is you know in terms of the fabric of your team the fabric of the people that you have he really was all about the players all about the team and all about his staff um even if it was one trainer or two trainers or there was no assistant coaches he had the first assistant coach in nhl 1972 but um, you know, he was, you know, very passionate about the people and it was them against, you know, the media was them against the fans, uh, except the fans of Philadelphia. And, um, for me, I, I really saw that. And when I had my opportunity in Pittsburgh to be a gym for the first time, I really felt that fabric of your team. And you talk about culture all the time. And I mean, you really, everybody knows what culture says in the dictionary, but you really don't know what culture is until you can feel it. And a lot of that starts with your trainers and support staff and, you know, those role players and role people that are so important to anything and so important about having a team and, and having, you know, accountability is what you're doing. And, um, and that's what, you know, I really have loved being around the game is the people and, um, and, and people like that in particular. Such a unique situation being around the broad street bullies that have to imagine, you know, a legendary group of people, I'm curious about the dynamic between a coach, a son, the players, what it was like in the seventies. You know, if you gravitated to certain players, if they reciprocated that love, if you're in the locker room and, you know, shooting pucks around, was there anyone that really took you under their wing and that you have fond memories of from that time? Oh yeah. I was, I was in, um, my dad was 1971 to 1978 in Philadelphia. Um, so seven years and 
I, I was nine to 16 years old. So I remember almost everything. And I was one of those kids that always wanted to go to the ring with my dad. And fortunately, most of the time he'd bring me with him. And, but yeah, like being around those guys and um, it's pretty funny because, you know, it's, you know, the Andre DuPonts and Bobby Clarks and Rick McLeish's and the trainers that I mentioned, Jim McKenzie and Frank Lewis and, uh, you know, Billy Barber. And, you know, it was funny back then it was different. I mean, you know, back when Bernie Prant, you know, in 73, 74, I mean, he played 73 of 78 games the one year and then 74 of 78, I believe, the next year. And the backup goalie, you know, was Bobby Taylor. Um, uh, and he, you know, long time down in Tampa Bay doing a, a color commentary and TV, fantastic person. And it was weird. Like Bernie used to come swing by the house and pick my dad up for practice sometimes. You don't really see that anymore. I don't think Marty's Bernard was picking up one of the coaches there, Jacques Clemere, on the way to practice. But that was the, the way it was then. And um, it was so funny because, you know, Bernie played all the games and he was always playing. And, um, you know, it was, you know, they, Bernie, uh, Bobby Taylor was, you know, of Indian descent. And after the first year, you know, his nickname was sitting, was, um, was the chief, obviously. And then yep. after only playing four of 78 games, the players changed his, uh, the flyer, the prosecutor police changed his, you know, his nickname from chief to sitting bowl. So, um, he knew exactly kind of where he was yes he got back to chief for sure and <laughs> a great guy and um no but I, it was it was so funny because you know sometime i'd stay after and you know i was skate afterward and i remember a few times bernie was getting work done and bernie would give me a ride home or bobby clark uh, gave us our first dog and um you know they had you know it's so different you know with ed snyder was the owner since day one 1967 he passed away i believe it was in 2014 or 15, I think. Um, but even when my father was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2013, um, Ed Snyder, you know, shared a, a plane, and all the guys from the Broad Street Bullies in that era were there, and Hall of Fame, so they hadn't really ever seen that before. So that was such a tight group, and it was so great to be around it, because, you know, Andrew DuPont played for my father in Omaha when I was even younger, and it's so funny, when I first went to Ottawa, um, in 93 as assistant GM, uh, was I scout, uh, he was one of our scouts for a number of years under DuPont. So it's kind of funny. And um, it was a great group to be around even as a kid. When you win the Stanley Cup or when the team wins the Stanley Cup and your dad's a head coach of it, it's a little bit different in the 70s than it is now. They didn't parade the cup around all over the world. What were your memories of the celebration? Was it a one-day thing? Did it continue? Did you hug the cup? How, how did you get to treat it as the son of the coach? Yeah, it was funny. I was in 74 and um, they won on home ice. And uh, there, were, there was back then, there was no day with a cup and all that stuff. But there was a huge party back at the uh, at the team bars, we call it the Everett season. Uh, it was an afternoon game, too. But I remember that. I remember that vividly. And it was the next day when they had the parade and uh, two million people showed up at the parade. And um, that was when we kind of had our pictures with the cup before the players got in their convertibles and we were on, I think it was, um, yeah, in buses and stuff, the kids. And, and it was, that was back when there was 2 million people. I mean, it was incredible. It's insane. And, you know, that was, you know, going down Broad Street in Philadelphia, 2 million people. And, um, you know, we're 12 years old, 13 years old. And that was when streaking was in though too. So the problem was. <laughs> it was a cultural movement at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're this huge bus and, um, you know, it's a flat nose. I'll never get it. One of those bluebirds or something like that. And, I was in the front seat. I remember, and you know, the, the bus is even moving because there's so much. It's mayhem. I mean, up and die. It's crazy. And this guy, you know, he is butt naked, nothing on. He just jumps right on the front of the, on the front of the windshield. 
of the bus and he's hogging us saying go flyers i'm like what the heck and i don't know the bus driver i guess you've seen it before it wasn't too phased he just turned out his windshield wipers and flopped the guy right off the, the windshield so <laughs> i'm like well <laughs> there's more where he came from but yeah, it was pretty wild and um no it's just you know when i was 12 years old then and i remember everything about it and um and that was that was awesome but there was no days with the cup unfortunately they were they wanted to get in the following year this time in buffalo and um, then they had 2.3 million people and um needless to say streaking was still in the next year too so it was kind of crazy <laughs> you mentioned the the importance of academics to your father and thinking about hockey at the time you know college hockey still wasn't the route that it is today to going to pro hockey but you were a good hockey player what made you end up at St. Lawrence? Why was that the right choice for you in your path at the time? Um, I wasn't exactly sure, to be honest with you, and um, it ended up being the best, one of the best decisions ever made in my life. But um, I, was, I went to prep school when I was 16 years old. Uh, my father, after his seventh year in Philadelphia, he actually went to the Rangers as GM coach. And uh, I was going to my junior year of high school, and I hated the Rangers. And, but, and I didn't. It's, you know, I moved so much, and uh, I know one thing – it's okay. It's easy or so much easier to move when you're younger. Um, but you know, when you're 16 and you know, you've been somewhere for seven years and basically your formative years, those are all your friends. And I really hated the idea of junior year going to school somewhere in New York. And so a bunch of my buddies from Philadelphia that I played with the little flyers, I don't know, I never even heard of this prep school called New Hampton up in New Hampshire. And I was 16 years old. I ended up going there and, um, that changed my life. And I was there for two years. So I was 16, 17 years old. And they had a coach uh, who was a first time coach at 24, 25 years old. His name was Joe Marsh. And um, he coached me for my first, you've heard of him, <laughs> Joey Marsh. Um, he was also my math teacher and one of the most influential, influential people in my life. And, um, and he had taken over from really uh, the guy that built Hampton for five years before he went to Dartmouth for two years as assistant. They went to the final four um, with um, George Crow, the head coach, uh, Mike McShane. So um, my two years there in New Hampton were fantastic, but I didn't know, I didn't know anything about college hockey. Uh, I didn't know. We went to, and Mike McShane ended up uh, the spring of my senior year, ended up getting the head coaching job at St. Lawrence. And he ended up recruiting five or six of us. And we went up there and all I remember is it was springtime. So it was really nice. <laughs> and, um, Everybody could drink beer because the drinking was 18. I'm like, well, this is great. Um, I decided to go to St. Lawrence. And um, my four years were, were some of the best of my life. And some of my best friends in my life were from New Hampton and St. Lawrence. And um, I'm very fortunate at that opportunity. But that's really, it was really the Joe Marsh, Mike McShane connection. Um, how I got, you know, timing's everything. And, you know, Mike, you know, yeah, after two years as assistant coach at Dartmouth, they did fantastic. And then he, he was just maybe 34 years old. He got a head job at St. Lawrence and he spent five years there and really turned the program around. And, and Joey took it from there and for 25 more years. Timing and relationships are everything, you know, and I think about mm -hmm. my recruiting visit to St. Lawrence. I was recruited by Joe Marsh. I, he drove me from St. Lawrence to the airport in Ottawa in his pickup truck in the middle of the snow. You know, six foot of snow, it's felt like. And, and I, can, I can just remember I'm talking like this, you know. And I just, it felt like the right thing to do. It had that gut feeling. And, and anybody that comes mm -hmm. across Joe Marsh has memories of him. Joe, um, Joe, he's from Massachusetts, actually. Went to UNH and um, played hockey there. But uh, to me, he was, he, he was, I think both the years I was there, he got teacher of the year. He was a math teacher. He was so smart. And um, I was in his math classes and, um, you know, I, 
I think it was in the, my first semester at New Hampton. And there's only about eight kids in the class, right? And um, I think it was November, December, something like that. And we just started getting on the ice, but it was snowing. And uh, I mean, I'll never forget this kid, Drew Segarelli. Um, I don't think Joe liked his attitude. So Joe went across the, across the, uh, the classroom at New Hampton, grabbed him by the scruff of the shirt and the belt buckle and opened the window and threw him up the window. And I don't think you can do this these days. And fortunately, we're on the second floor. Joe to this day says the first floor. Regardless, there was a snowbank the kid dropped into, Drew, which um, the headmaster was just having to be giving a, a tour to prospective student and his parents at the same time. So I can't confirm that the kid actually ended up going to New Hampton when the, the body fell out of the second floor window. Uh, but that was Joe. And Joe was um, – he was, he was also my dorm master. I mean, there was only, I mean, nine kids in our dorm. It was right next to the hockey rink in New Hampton, which is, I had no idea when I went there that the rink was totally outside. There was no sides, no, I mean, no roof. And um, as you can imagine, it gets pretty cold at, up in New Hampshire. And um, that was, the show was fantastic. And uh, that's where I first met, they were started a date was Teddy, his, his wife. And um, so I go way back with Joe and um, he was, my, especially my first year, that's exactly what I needed. He was, you know, he, he was so hard on me. And I don't think he thought he was hard on me at all. I thought he did. Uh, but it was the best thing ever happened to me and, you know, which I needed in my life. And I go back the next year, I'm like, oh, boy. I mean, the, I was the youngest kid by far on the team. I was 16. I mean, we had PGs, a bunch of them were 19. And I was like, I was in the fifth line. And I said to Joe years later, Joe, I didn't even know there were five lines in hockey fifth line i mean when it's like 20 below out that's not fun and the next year i had no idea what to expect and i don't know until the first game and i'm on the first line so that year went real well and that's really how i got to st lawrence but some great life lessons at new hampton and um great members of the joe marsh no different than mike mcshane and same thing with brett brackey the new uh coach of st lawrence now reminds me that they're all the same in terms of great hockey people but better i mean people that will impact your life in a great way and in a lasting way. And uh, they've really passed it on to so many different people. And I'm sure including yourself, Mike, and your teammates, and um, they care about you. And um, I'm still very good friends with Joe and, and Mike McShane and see them quite a bit, which is great. And, um, you know, so that's, if someone can capture that, you know, a hockey environment, a hockey experience, along with educationally and socially that we had at St. Lawrence, that's something special. And um, I was very fortunate. You've had a lot of people stay in your life, as you mentioned. Randy Sexton's one of those people, a teammate, a coach, mm -hmm. and then a boss, you know, and yes. you, finished, you finished your career <laughs> at St. Lawrence. You put up a ton of points, you're drafted, but you don't end up going to play professional hockey. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to go into being a player agent? You know, was there any thought of maybe law school or some other way to advance your schooling or did you, were you determined to remain in hockey in some way? Yeah, that's really it, Mike. I think when I, I was drafted by Los Angeles after my sophomore year, but it was really funny. I was supposed to be drafted maybe after my first year, uh, my freshman year, and um, I wasn't. And that summer I uh, was at the um, uh, Olympic Festival um, in Colorado Springs in, in July and um, after my freshman year, and I had a tear at my knee, um, ACL, MCL. But I missed my entire sophomore year at St. Lawrence. And then, believe it or not, that summer after my sophomore year, which I didn't play, I got drafted by LA. And um, so then I came back my junior, senior year and had two good years. And, um, you know, it was, you know, I had, I had offered them like a three-way contract, went to camp without one. And I'm 
it was a great experience. Pat Quinn was a coach, and Pat Quinn, you know, actually my father hired him. This gave him his first coaching job back in Philadelphia. This is assistant seventy six or seven, I believe. Um, incredible man, and um, it was a great experience. At the same time, once training camp ended, and you know they they'll send me to Toledo because they were splitting New Haven their AHL team with the Rangers, and I was a center. Each team has two centers. Well, you know, after a month of training camp, remember I said to my dad, "What do you think I should do?" And he said, "Well." Didn't really put you through St. Lawrence to play in Toledo, but again, he said, "Well, you do whatever you want. I'll support you 100%. My mom was the same way. I said, yeah, you know what? Actually, by, I decided, and I remember it probably was about five, four to six months, because I interviewed at Wall Street. All of my buddies from St. Lawrence were on Wall Street. And, I think we all did. You know, <laughs> I interned for three years. And- right, right. Well, of course, every company that I went to is like Ellen Rothschild, Kidder Peabody, and Bear Stearns. Of course, they all went kaput. Um, so fortunately, I think it was the next spring. Spring of 86 is when I moved to Boston and got in the agent business. I was, I was like 23 or four and I did that for six years, but I was in the real estate business and I was young and it was the best time ever. I lived in Boston, you know, basically out, out of St. Lawrence for six years. And um, that's where I, I live now. And that's always been kind of home and uh, for my kids as well. So that's been fantastic. My wife's from Boston as well. And, um, but it's, you know, it's one of those, you know, experiences that, you know, even with Randy, I mean, um, he comes in, he was, a, he was a junior, I was a freshman, uh, but right away, I mean, I, I could tell, I mean, he had incredible leadership qualities in him. You saw him and he, you wanted to follow him. And I was very fortunate to, to have him kind of be my mentor along my couple of years there. And of course, Randy went on from there to get his MBA at Clarkson and also uh, coach at St. Lawrence and did a fantastic job. And, and certainly going on from there to becoming one of the founders of the Ottawa Centers and general manager and president. And that's how I got into pro hockey. When you got that call from Randy and he said, hey, we need some folks for the Ottawa Senators. We were teammates. I was your coach. Were you nervous about that opportunity? I mean, obviously, you must have had a friendship um, that made you comfortable, but did, that's a pretty big yeah, step, you was, know, to, to go from doing your agency business to going yep. into the deep end in management. Yeah, and it was, you know, that was after their, the, the Senators' first year, 92-93, and he was the president that year, and then and they made a move, and then, you know, the – fired Mel Bridgen, who was the GM. And so Randy became president and GM. Um, but I think, you know, Randy's a smart guy and, um, you know, if he's that smart, he probably not hired me, but um, he was, you know, having six years, he was looking for someone like we always kept in touch and, you know, and because I was in the business negotiating contracts, you had, those are the things that really learned from the Asian business. In fact, then the money obviously was not even a quarter of what it is now. And um, I did it because I wanted to stay in the game and the, if I could have maybe gotten a scouting job, I would have been scouting or something like that. So that, you know, back then you're, you know, meeting so many different people in the game and um, contacts and seeing so many games and um, negotiating contracts, learning about the CBA. And after six years, I mean, I I was excited about the opportunity big time. And, um, you know, it was a big move, move to Canada and uh, we didn't have any kids at the time, but um, I was excited about it. And I was, you know, Randy was fantastic to me. So it was, you know, and then I worked with Randy, maybe, Two, two and a half years, three years, something. And then when he got let go by Ottawa, I mean, Pierre Gauthier came in and he was fortunate to keep me and I was lucky and Randy really encouraged me to stay. So, you know, fast forward how things work. And obviously we remember being really, really good friends. And when I had the opportunity, not just because I had a friendship or because I thought I owed it, like I ended up hiring him in Pittsburgh um, when I was a GM there and uh, Randy ended up staying there. I'd worked with Randy for at least a couple of years, three years and, 
then when I got let go after eight years in Pittsburgh, he stayed on and, and won a couple Stanley Cups here with him and um, then went to Buffalo and, and now is with um, Minnesota. So um, he did a lot for me, put it that way. They weren't easy years in Ottawa. I talked to Randy the other day and he said that he looked at you at one point and he goes, man, that's a rough schedule, Ray. There's no easy nights. And you fired right back at him. You said, Hey buddy, we're the easy nights. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly it, man. We had, Oh, I was there the second year. I'd be mean, honest to God. Um, it was, it was a great time though. Like I look back and, you know, certainly we were all so young then, um, but our you know, head coach is Rick Bonus, and one of the nicest people in hockey, as you know, Mike, and it's so nice to see him do so well for himself in Dallas. And, um, but also Elaine Vino, the head coach of Philadelphia, longtime coach now, but Elaine was just in his first, second year of assistant coaching. E.J. McGuire's there. We had there John a Ferguson ton of young Senior. talent, like coaching and management. Oh, Jimmy Nell was there. Jimmy Nell was there. No, no. <laughs> Shop ice, we had it. You know, we're you had an all star club. Yarbo Kekalainen was there oh, at yeah. some point, too. I mean, Yarbo, I hired Yarbo for I was Yarbo's agent for God's sakes. I hired Yarbo and uh, for Clarkson guy, I and mean, it had to be pretty good. But, um, no, Trevor Timmons, other you know, obviously assistant Jim in Montreal, and um, but so many really good people, and you know, Paul Castro, obviously, uh, another St. Lawrence guy. And, um, but that was they were some, but that was fun, and you know, what we didn't know, we didn't know. I mean. I still remember, I mean, St. Louis would come in at the old Civic Center, beat us 11 nothing. Dallas, you know, 10 <laughs> 1. And uh, we just thought we were a player or two away. <laughs> Boy, it, it took time. and uh, But it was amazing that how they even got the team there. Randy Sexton's for a leader and Bruce Firestone. And, um, you know, it was pretty amazing. And then uh, you know, obviously the, the building they got built there. And um, But it was a great learning experience. And yeah, we, you know, it was, as a, you know, I was assistant GM. You know, that was my first year assistant GM, 93, 94. And I did that five years in Ottawa and eight years in Nashville. So 13 years. And, um, you know, the assistant GM role, I always say the best gig in hockey assistant GM. Um, I remember at the old Civic Center, we were getting, it was a couple of weeks before Randy got fired, I believe, midway through the 95, 96 season. And we we're playing someone in that little barn and, and the fans are chanting. And we had this, we sat in this little box uh, over center ice or by the blue line and, me and Randy was tiny and Randy would basically come so close, like toss, just throwing like water bottles and stuff on the ice. You had to hold them back like three, four times. And anyway, he was, the fans just start chanting, sex that must go, sex that must go. And Randy leans over to me and said, Ray, what the hell are they saying? I mean, I said to him, well, um, uh, Randy, they're not saying Shiro must go. <laughs> I mean, that was a, that's just a gem. If you can get that gig, it's the best one going. So we got Years later, we got to chuckle out of that one. It feels kind of similar to being a goaltender, really. If you're the GM, you're the goaltender. Oh. You can't hide. Like, think about being a third or fourth line forward. You can just float around out there, get a couple oh. shifts, get a couple hits, maybe chip in 10 or 15 points. Nobody's calling for your mm -hmm. head. You know, it, there's so much pressure that goes into it. Did you learn more as an agent or as an assistant GM that prepared you for being a general manager? I think all of it, Mike, seriously, because I think a lot of it, is dealing with people and i think that's a lot of the, the role of the general manager and if i gave you a business card of when i was a gm they give you like 500 you always end up with 499 of them but what you do everything say you make trades you have signings that's what a gm does how great well that's like 10 percent of your job and really it's you're a manager of people that's what you are you manage your ownership your media your the agents the players the trainers your scouts your 
you know, that's what you're doing and managing. And, if, you know, I learned a lot, you know, in terms of, I guess, that communication from the, the, the six years in the agent business, certainly 13 years, you know, from a AGM standpoint uh, between, you know, working for Randy Sex as a GM, um, Pierre Goche, uh, of course, David Poyle. And, you know, everybody has their different styles. And, um, but I learned, I mean, you try to continue evolving, obviously, and even back then. And, you know, those were the simpler days, probably. But um, I think you take a lot from, you know, because it's, you know, it's about relationships, too. And I really, along the way, I think it, it's, all of it has really helped me and, you know, prepare me. And when I finally got that opportunity in 2006, and even after 13 years as assistant GM, I mean, Remember in 2006, seven, my first year's GM, the Penguins, and we're driving to the first game against Philadelphia at home. And I think it was that uh, the fray had the song Cable Car uh, in over my head. Uh, and that was playing. I'm like, that's me. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, because you don't know until you don't know and you get there. And, you know, as Bobby Clark said, long when he first got the GM job in 85 in Philadelphia, sometime I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. So, um, but it was, you know, all that really added up to, you know, helping me, you know, not just get a, a chance to be a general manager, but have some success doing it, obviously. And um, and I think a lot of that's, you know, has benefited me by working with those different people along the way. Last year was the first time I ever heard the phrase that you have to manage up. I'd never heard that before. I'm sure it's out there in some managerial book or something that I haven't read. But it really struck me, you know, that it's, you're not just managing the people yeah. below you. Did you find it, mm -hmm. or do you find it more difficult to manage players or owners? Well, I think it's, it's more, I'm not, I think it's more important to manage owners. Um, and it, you know how important it is to manage players. And, um, and part of that, you're, you're managing the players with, let's say your coaching staff, your assistant gym, whatever that is, your development guys, um, sometime with the agent uh, along with the player. But I think everything else, I mean, managing up or back in the day, maybe sucking up, I don't know. But managing <laughs> up is, it's not even, it's not even a bad, the connotation not even that bad because really the, uh, the owners, they own the team. And, you know, I think it's really important because, you know, you go through an interview process and everything is fantastic if you get off of the job because you appear to be on the same page. But as you know, like, you know, as soon as the bumps start hitting the road and, um, you know, especially now over the last 10 years or whatever it's going to be with, you know, social media and Twitter and things like that. Well, they're competitive people. And the more you can keep them informed and make sure and, say, and explain to them or give them heads up, because the worst thing you find with, you know, with anything, ownerships is surprises. They just don't want to be surprised. And yeah. that's what happened. Well, that's not good. So managing up is more the, the flow of information. And listen, we talked about this and, you know, it, but if we do this, it's kind of, kind of, that's not exactly the plan we set out, but sometimes there's a different tra trajectory for your team. Um, you know, like it was in Pittsburgh, we made a big trade to, I think in my second year for Marion Hosa and things like that. It, you know, I remember saying to Mario Lemieux, it's like, Mario, this is a risk. And it was, you know, two minutes of the deadline and it was a huge deal. And, and, you know, it's not what we had talked about it, more of a five-year plan. We're only in year two. And, but the team had done a lot better than, anticipated i guess and mario that's what you need support from someone like mario said right you you run the hockey operation i don't know the players that that well um but everything you described it's like one minute before the deadline mario's on the golf course and just said 
great. I bought this team in a bankruptcy. I'm a risk taker. If you want to do it, I support it. If you don't, I totally understand, but don't worry about five year this, five year that. And I think you had to go because you had a tee shot to take, but, um, <laughs> but that's, that's what I mean. He was, it's incredible, but you know, that was part of the communication and managing up type of stuff. And, and I think and that's one of those things too, Mike, I think it's easier said than done sometimes. It's not an easy conversation. I'm sure at times. No, I mean, of course not. And, you know, it's, you know, what people don't see uh, as to how things happen or, or, you know, someone gets traded or someone doesn't get traded or, you know, if a player gets traded from Boston to Chicago, well, maybe there's an owner in Detroit asking, what the hell happened? I thought we we're going to get that guy. Uh, well, that is, I mean, the communication part is uh, that managing out that is really important and, and things do fall through the cracks, but, you know, through a lot of texting and so forth and, um, you know, obviously board meetings and things like that, but, um, it's, 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 it's become a much bigger job managing that. Um, but that's all part of it. And that's why managing down as well in terms of delegating, I always appreciate that the assistant GM because it's more for that person to do and allocate things and delegate. Um, so they get experience as well, like I did. And, uh, but again, it's one of those things you really have to, you know, keep in mind the, the, the biggest thing is, um, just with the ownership. And I think that's a big part of the manager's job. And, and certainly one that I took seriously and I think everybody does. And I'm uh, just making sure and obviously in, the, in sync with them and into what the, the team's doing and what you're thinking. And so there are no surprises. About midway through your career, you head to Nashville, another expansion team. I'd look at this from the mm-hmm. outside and go, this guy's, he's got, he's a glutton for punishment. You know, he's self-flagellating, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> uh, what, what made that, an attractive option at that stage of your career? Well, it was funny because um, that was, uh, I was in my fifth year in Ottawa as assistant GM, and I think it was in November. And it was, um, I think it was uh, on my third year where we made the playoffs the first time. Um, you know, Pierre Gauthier was a GM and Jacques Martin, St. Lawrence guy. Jacques was our head coach and uh, they both did fantastic jobs. And so we made the playoffs um, in 96 and 97. Um, and then uh, into my fifth year, the only uh, it was really a lateral move. But you know, David Poyle was uh, the new GM of uh, the expansion team in Nashville, and he had been you know for 15 years a GM in Washington. And I really didn't know David that well, and it wasn't like assistant GMs are traveling the same circles as GMs. And he, you know, Pierre Goche came to my office one day and just said, you know, Pierre Goche has asked permission to to talk to you about the assistant GM job there, the assistant GM job in Nashville, and. And I went down there and talked to him, met with him for like three days. And the, my attraction expansion, I'd been through it obviously with Ottawa, but a lot of it was really working with David Poyle. I mean, he was, you know, you know now he's the winning his GM in hockey history, but also to me, to be able to learn from him. And he never had an assistant GM before in his 15 years in Washington, saw so was his first one. And that was, ended up being a great move for me, eight years in Nashville working for David and, um, I never worked a day in my life as assistant GM, let alone my ears with David to be a GM. I was just passionate about being in the game and never wanted to let my boss down. In this case, it was David or Pierre Gauthier, Randy Saxon, whoever it was. And and that's really why I probably got an agent was passionate about the game and want to be involved. And again, it's always pass it on to the guys that listen, um, you know, in terms of ambition is everybody's got ambition, but that's sometimes dangerous as well. And, um, again, I think I did a good job balancing that because, you know, even when the opportunity came for me in 2006 after 13 years, I mean, it wasn't something that 
you know, if I didn't get the Pittsburgh job or any GM job, I hope I'd still be in Nashville to join myself for it for David. So, um, but again, that opportunity came along and I never chased it though. And, but I think it was one of those things that going eight years to work with David, that decision in 98, I think paid off for me. And, um, you know, I was happy I did it. Whole lot more with Ray Shiro to come. But sports fans, with a new year comes tons of new big games in sports. With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and save up to $25 on combos perfect for game day. Plus, get free shipping with code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. Try out the snack pack combo featuring small plates with big flavor, mini beef wellington steak burger sliders, mac and cheese melts, shrimp wrapped in bacon. Every order is flash frozen, delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Basically every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, go to kansascitysteaks.com slash game day. Use the code BELIEVE. B-L-E-A-V at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks. Big games, big taste. And don't forget about longtime friend of the show, Skin Effects Wraps. The best way to get your helmet looking good, get a new design on it, get rid of that old style, get the new style. Hit up Skin Effects Wraps on Instagram. Mark Magnanti is the guy in charge of it from Rochester, New York. Great American company. He can make your dreams come true when it comes to helmet design. It's an affordable way. It's a quick way. It looks fantastic. My mask is currently wrapped in a Vegas Golden Knights theme. You cannot tell that it used to be something else. So if you need your mask done in a hurry, in an affordable way, visit Skin Effects Wraps on Instagram. And if you're a goaltender looking to improve your game, I'm available for coaching through 44visionhockey.com. You go on, you create an account, and you put my name in as your coach. I'll take all your video from Live Barn, from Hockey TV. We upload those, take all the clips, and then we go through it all in a Zoom meeting. You get a couple of clips that you get to refer back to that'll be on your player page at all times. I take what I know of the position, what I've learned from all the goalie coaches that I've worked with, put it into your game through a pro's eye. So go to 44visionhockey.com. Again, put me in as your coach. I'd love to work with you. And now, more with Ray Shiro. On a personal level for us, we have so many parallels and so many ties. You know, Joe Marsh recruits you to St. Lawrence. Joe Marsh recruits me to St. Lawrence. You're in Nashville. I'm drafted by Nashville. I, I do four uh, developments. Was it sixth round? What, what round? Sixth round, 172nd overall, 2002 draft. And changed my life, getting mm-hmm. the chance to work with Mitch Korn and see the insides of an NHL mm-hmm. franchise. And that organization at the time, I remember looking back at some of these pictures and the defensive core that we had, Suter, Hamus, Weber, Klein. I mean, I, this is tip of the iceberg stuff. And we're, t- I mean, Upshaw too, too. There was so much young talent and the team had drafted so well. Um, I was disappointed. I didn't get a chance to be part of that. And that's really my question yeah. Ray, is why on earth would you guys sign Pekka Rene and not Mike McKenna at the time in 2005, when I was coming off a hot college career and a young prospect and ready to go. <laughs> well, especially, I mean, you were a sixth round pick. In fact, it was an eighth round pick. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's what you, it's so funny though. All those guys you just mentioned too, Mike, I mean, you know, from, you know, Shea Weber and, and Suter and Hamus and uh, all those guys. I had in Milwaukee. I was running Milwaukee at the same time, the HL team. And imagine that. I mean, 
Yeah. That Brandon was, Siegel's another name. I was, was on five teams with him. Brandon Siegel, Brandon, of course. Yeah, Brandon and Bern Fiddler. I mean, they win the Calder Cup in 04. Yeah. Claude Duval was our coach. Um, you know, I, that was some amazing guys. And it's so funny, but the Pekka Rene thing, and, you know, it's amazing that Pekka, you know, is the longest tenured uh, predator. I'm sure they'll retire his jersey when he's done. And uh, But he was drafted in 04, drafted in Hartford in the eighth round. And um, it was really actually Yarmo Kekalei and his brother, Yane, um, who I'd hired probably two or three years earlier um the scout for us over in finland and i mean it was so funny because you know he, he really really liked pecorina and no one even heard of the guy I'm like, he's like while well, you're over here right i was at a tournament helsinki he goes we gotta fly up you gotta see this kid i mean but you gotta watch him warm up uh why because we fly to you know up to olu and um, in february so we go up there and gotta watch him warm up because he never plays well i how good can he be? He's like, right, I just think this kid's going to be good. And he's, he's huge. Okay. So watch warm up. And I still remember, I couldn't wait for the flight back that night. Cause it was like 35 below Benolu, and <laughs> I'm watching and all of a sudden after warm up, I watch him warm up and Yannick kick Lennon turns to his right. What do you think? I'm like, of the goalie. I'm like, listen, I, if he played the game, Yannick, I, I couldn't even probably tell you, but if you like him, you know, it's just tell Paul Fenton about him. Paul was, you know, running the draft and sure enough, um, eighth round and he only did only maybe played six seven games or whatever it was because he played behind some guy which i'm like who the heck's this guy then it was nicholas backstrom who mm-hmm. ended up come you know going to play for minnesota wild you know for a long time and it's a great goalie but once he left and pecka took over but it was funny because pecka spent three years in milwaukee in the american league yep and i remember seeing pecka a few years ago at the world championships and um he had you know, he, he had recently signed a seven times seven year, seven million dollar deal with um, Nashville. He was so funny because I said, Pekka, do you remember the first contract we did? Because he was, like, he came over and he just, and yep, I go, what was your signing bonus? And he remember it was like, I think he said $9,600. That was a signing bonus. Yeah. I go, yep. That was, and um, honestly, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And, but it took him a lot of time. And, um, but realistically, I will have to say, upon further reflection, Mike, that's one we got right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Versus well, you had a great career by Pekka. <laughs> you know, it's not all right. Well, you uncovered a real hidden gem. I mean, that's the, that's the yeah. point. That's the moral of this is that you have to be willing to think outside the box at times when you're drafting, you know, you hit a home run in the seventh or eighth round. That's where you find your real value down the road. Absolutely. It goes, I mean, really it goes to so different. I was saying in terms of, you know, from, being a GM, like let's say David Poyle in that case, uh, or I, you know, in terms of delegating, and you can't have your hands on even Paul Fenton's like when the eighth round, Leon, if you want to take him, go ahead. Um, but that's you know, having trust in, in your staff and and really empowering them to do their job. And and certainly, you know, Yanni Kekalani along with Lucas Bergman and um, have done an amazing job since day one, they're still there, uh, running the European side for the Nashville one, <clears throat> they've gotten so many good players there. And, later round guys. And that's the way, obviously we have to hit on those guys as well, but that was a good story. And at the same like with everything, you get someone lucky. It's funny that Pekka and I have stayed friends over the years. It's not like we text each other or anything, but you uh-huh. know, we, we were in the development camps together and I had a brief stint in Milwaukee uh, as mm-hmm. just as a call up on a PTO. And I remember being stuck there over Christmas mm-hmm. and they said, well, we need, we want to call you up, but you're going to be there for Christmas. And I was like, absolutely. I'll do anything. You got it. And <laughs> sure enough, Rich Peverly, also St. Lawrence graduate and teammate for three years, uh, myself and Pekka Rene all had Christmas together, you know, and then 
I think it had been a decade since we'd seen one another and I'm warming up Mm -hmm. for, I think it was with Ottawa or Dallas. I can't remember which team I was with at the time, but seeing each other at the red line, you know, and just huge smiles. Here we are 15 years down the road from being drafted at least. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pekka, Pekka's obviously got, Pekka's got probably 70 sheets in the bank and I don't have anything close (laughs) to that, but it's, it's still that mutual friendship that, that winking, like, Hey man, we're still here. We're still doing it. It's special, you know? That's great. Let's see where both of you, honestly, where Pekka came from or, you know, his draft or you, I mean, you, I mean, your career is everybody, no one has a parallel path. That's for sure. And your, you know, your career is as interesting as anybody's in the, the match to the people that you've met along the way of you better their life or vice versa. But um, yeah, guys like that. And even like Rich Peverly, as you mentioned, St. Lawrence guy. And I still remember how Claude Noel um, who coached Winnipeg Jets and also, you know, coach Milwaukee, the Calder Cup, and Claude, you know, was still a good friend, and he scouted pro scouting for New Jersey, and um, we talked about that quite a bit. Richie Peverly ended up, we got him out of the East Coast League. It was during the actual lockout in 04, 05, or whatever, and and Claude always, because I, I said this, I'm telling you, Peverly, was, we had really no farm team in the East Coast, anything like that. We just get guys here and there from Milwaukee, and um and that was we're kind of going back and forth and because i guess i was running the team i was assistant gym in national i guess i got rich peverly and he wanted marco rosa and <laughs> um so we ended up giving richard the opportunity and certainly did obviously did fantastic with it and it was so funny because he ends up obviously you know becoming an nhl player first with national but i never forget when they i think it was pittsburgh were playing in nashville when i saw richie after the game and um, you know, Barry Trotz, who was a fantastic person and coach, but Barry's the coach in Nashville and it, and he wasn't a lineup. And I saw Richie after the game. He goes, Ray, I don't know what's going on. I, I think I might be out of here. Sure enough, the next day he's on waivers and Atlanta, I think was first in, in Atlanta claimed him. And that was, he was disappointed with man. Oh man, did that ever work out well for Richie Peffley and Atlanta yeah. Trashers and played so well there and became an NHL player. And then, you know, the big trade to Boston wins the Stanley Cup, and a, a really key player of that cup team for the Bruins. And again, it's great to see him still in hockey with, uh, with Dallas. And he's a great guy, as you know, Richie. Definitely. I think Pevs has a really, really bright future in hockey. I truly believe that when we played together, he knew every player in the national hockey league when we were at college, knew the game incredibly well, great personality. Uh, I, I could see him in, in a higher management role down the road for sure. To me, he was always a victim yeah. of the 0-4-5 lockout in terms of coming out of school. He was our best player at St. Lawrence for three years, mm-hmm. arguably four, mm-hmm. led the team in scoring. I think he's the type of guy who would have easily been in the American League had it not been for the lockout that year. That team, the American League was absolutely stacked in 0-4-5. Oh. Stacked. Uh, absolutely. That was like, oh boy, that was really amazing. And that was, but actually it was fortunate for me because I happened to be, I think we're done in Florida because it was sort of lockout. I don't know if I was done with David Poyle's place or maybe at meetings that I can't remember, but I remember we went to, I think in, in, in the Estrell went to see a, the game there. And actually we're going to see, I think he was, maybe in part of the Predators, uh, maybe Shane Knighty was playing. and Who now I'm on the broadcast team with in, uh, in Vegas. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. Six uh, degrees, Shane, right? He was, there you go. Isn't that funny? <laughs> but it was, I think he was uh, um, Money Guns. And next thing I'm like, hey, Richie Beverly's playing. Sure enough, he, I thought he played great. And we needed a call up, you know, during the American with that season. And um, sure enough, he got his chance on the PTO to, to go to Milwaukee. And, um 
you know, the rest, he, he kind of wrote himself, obviously. And it's great to see him involved in the game is a wonderful guy. And um, it's a small world though. And who you might see. So um, if he was playing in like Manitoba, I could say Manitoba because, you know, my dad's from Winnipeg and I get relatives there, but if Richie was playing on the, in the East coast, like in Manitoba, I'm not sure I would have sat, saw him there, but Florida, I was, uh, I was on it. I was on the case. So we'll take that discount. flight. You, know, you got the gig and you got the gig in Pittsburgh. You show up and you said you didn't know what you were doing, but you had some nice pieces. Somebody named Crosby, another guy named Malkin, a goaltender named Flurry. It's easy to look at that team and go, oh, they had all these superstars. No wonder they won the cup. That's never the case. I look at a team like Edmonton right now that's had Connor McDavid for six seasons mm-hmm. and they haven't been able to find the mojo or the success. And that's a generational mm-hmm. talent. So when you're building that team in Pittsburgh, you talk about the the trade, I believe you said for Gabrick or Hosa. Uh, uh, Hosa, yeah. Or Hosa, Hosa yeah. You, know, mm-hmm. you end up ahead of the curve. You start taking swings. What were the pieces of the puzzle that led to that 09 Cup? I think my first year was 06, 07. That was Crosby's second year. And that was probably a great thing for me because, you know, that was Malcolm's first year. It was my first year. He, he came over. Um, but it was, I think I benefited for Sid playing the previous year, his rookie. He had 102 points as a rookie, 18 years old. Uh, unfortunately, the team had 58 points. <laughs> and um, it's not the right ratio. You know, Craig Patrick did. No, it's not. And, uh, but and Craig Patrick, I mean, did a fantastic job there for 15 years. And, um, but at the end, I mean, the Pittsburgh, this didn't have the money and um, that really forced us and it was difficult. But when I came in, you know, Sid, um, you know, it was, he was, you know, he experienced it. I think it was really beneficial to experience that versus, you know, Gino came in and since Gino has been there, teams never missed the playoffs or anything like that. And, but I think to me, I kind of go back to, you know, looking at that team and really not, you know, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. You know, just 06, 07, still playing at Mellon Arena and, you know, we weren't going to make any big free agent signings, but I still remember, you know, the type of people we wanted. And, you know, I in the locker room at the old Mellon Arena and the, the locker room now uh, where the Penguins are that, you know, it's the same three words. It's still up there. Passion, accountability, work. That's what I wanted to establish, not only in players and as a team, but that's what I, the three things I really look for when I wanted to, you know, talk about hiring trainers or scouts or you have to have a passion for what you're doing. There's that accountability and certainly a work ethic. Those three things are so different from a team aspect or what's really big is a team off the ice, which, you know, Pittsburgh became. And, um, you know, same things where there's a Chris Copetto in New Jersey, the head equipment guy with Dana Heinze in Pittsburgh. Them and their staff really helped create a, a, a culture one way or the other of, of how things go. And, um, but I think, you know, right off the bat, there was no, we had no, so it was signed Mark Eaton as a free agent on defense, a two-year deal, Yarko Rutu, a two-year deal, um, um, trade for Dominic Moore, guys like this that, you know, kind of rounded out. We just wanted to, and Michael Terry and I didn't know him as a coach and, um, I ended up, you know, with Michael, I think for two and a half years and he did a fit. We ended up having a really good relationship and he was a, a great person to work for as a manager. He always had my back and vice versa. And, but I think it was really those building smaller things. And in Pittsburgh, we had guys like, you know, Joe Malachar, Rob Scuderi, um, Michelle that we had brought back, um, you know, it was just Max Talbot to bring you know, Talbot up during the season. It was, you know, Jordan Stahl. It was you know, his first year. He was 18 years old, scored 29 goals. A lot of it really came together. And, um, 
you know, we ended up had 105 points my first year. And, um, you know, it, I think that was really establishing something and the accountability off the ice and the culture there, which, you know, it, it had to do with how you travel, had to do with your expectations of, of yourself as a group and how you do things. And, you know, I'm really happy all the people, I, I'd have to say 90% of the people that I hired in my years in Pittsburgh are still there unless they've, you know, really moved on for GM jobs or coaching jobs or whatever the case is. So um, hopefully I'll be the same case in New Jersey where there's good people in place and, you know, they can do a good job over time. When you saw Fleury make that last save, 1.8 seconds left to win the Stanley Cup, you're following your dad's footsteps. What's going through your head? Because you've got history with it. It's not like this is somebody who's coming from the outside who's never experienced this before you have at least in some capacity did did you have thoughts flood of your dad in the past success or how do you quantify a stanley cup win that's been on your terms um we had we had lost to detroit the year before in the finals with six games and um and you know we the next year i mean those detroit teams were so good Uh, i mean their defense i mean you know lidstrom and rafalski and brad stewart they got they they were so good and up front. I mean, Sederberg, that's so uh, clear. They they had role players. They had speed. They had the best six defensemen, and they were good. And you know, to get the game seven, you know, to get the the last, you know, face off of the game, which everybody sees Flurry making that save. But like the first save was through traffic. <laughs> I mean, yep. Mitch Corn calls that the greatest save in hockey history. Really? Yep. Uh, I mean, he doesn't get the second unless he stops the first one, which is good. That was a Falski shot, I think. And then, of course, Lidstrom came in. And I, I mean, that is, you know, the face-off everybody sees. But honestly, God, there were 16 seconds left. The face-off was outside the zone. And they still had two chances there. They must have had four chances in the last 16 seconds, of course, the two, you know, off that face-off. But that was, you know, it was really amazing. I, he couldn't have written a better script in terms of the team he lose to the year before. You know, we had traded for Marion Hoss at the deadline, a Marion Hall of Fame player now, and I had him in Ottawa um, as a young player and incredible person. Well, you know, he didn't resign with us. We offered him, I think in Pittsburgh, we offered him five years, seven million a year to stay. And I remember getting a call from him on July 1st saying, I don't think I can continue with the, the Penguins. And, um, you know, I, I want to win a Stanley Cup and I'm picking the team. I think I might have a better chance. And that team was Detroit. He signed a one-year deal. Again, so I mean, I give a lot of credit because he turned down thirty-five million deal for I think seven million to Detroit. You, know, you look at that team, yeah, they just beat us, and you add him, um, yeah, probably have a bad bet on Marion's part. So, turns around, we end up beating them in Game Seven, and um, I think in the series, Marion, I don't know if he had more than a point or two, something like that. But um, as hockey gods should be, is you know that made him own two in the finals. And it couldn't happen to a better guy either if he goes on to win three Stanley Cups with Chicago, solidified himself as a Hall of Fame player and always a Hall of Fame person. But, um, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, to see those things happen. And, you know, that was a magical year and things really came together because, you know, in February, we were five points out of a playoff spot and obviously trending the wrong way and had to make a coaching decision and, you know, let go of Mike Terry. He did a great job uh, for two and a half years and, but again, you know, um, got lucky and, um, you know, so that paid off in 09, but it was quite the ending. How do you celebrate as a general manager? How long, uh, do, you, how long do you give um, yourself until you return to work? 
You have to let it bask. Yeah, you have to right. bask in the glory for at least a day, Ray. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, we did it more than that. That's for sure. That was, um, remember that night, you know, we got back to Pittsburgh and, you know, Mario had the, the party at his house and, um, that was pretty incredible. And then the next day I had the cup of my house, uh, cause no one really was up, could even stay up to like one in the afternoon. Everybody was so exhausted. So I had it at my place and, um, exhaust is a good word. You know, right? I think it's, it's <laughs> exhaust. It's like exhausting. I still remember it cause you, I, the funny story is that I still remember that you get so many texts from people. Congratulations. Right. And, you know, over the course of three or four days, I wanted to get back to everybody. Right. But then you realize there's like so many guys people are fortunately that's amazing and it might be like the third day i'm basically i'm i remember gord miller tsn of course fantastic so i remember you know i texted him hey gord thanks i really appreciate it uh blah blah and i get the text back from gord right that's the third time he replied to me party on so <laughs> i was like that's fantastic <laughs> yeah so good old gord thanks for the reminder it was funny yeah, we, had our, we actually had our cup party down on the Cape, uh, down at Steve Rhodes' place, St. Lawrence, you know, you know, his best man at his wedding. And, um, and that's where we had it. And that's such a great time. And um, so many of our St. Lawrence friends were there, obviously. And um, that, was, that was a fun time. So, um, yeah. So the old St. Lawrence connection came through again. I don't think they even charged me for the venue, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> well, as a general manager, you know, any way you can save a bit of money is not a bad thing. You had a good run in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's correct. You won a Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. Your team got to the finals. Great success. What's that feeling like when you're ousted and the team ends up going and winning a couple cups later? Knowing that you still had a hand mm -hmm. in it, you know, do you, do you still feel a sense of ownership even after you've been let go by a team when they go on to success afterwards? Um, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, it's um, – I was there eight years and we never missed the playoffs. And actually, the eighth year, we had 106 points. That's the most points we ever had. And we ended up losing in the second round in game seven to the Rangers. One nothing. Some guy Lundquist shut us out. Um, but that, you know, and Rangers went to the finals that year against LA. And <clears throat> But it was, you know, after eight years and, you know, with that group, even though the last, like, two and a half years, had, really didn't have Crosby, Malkin, or Stahl together that much. Um, but it was, you know, bittersweet. But as time goes on, they win in, you know, I got fired in, you know, May of 14. So I think it was two years later, they win in 16 and 17 back to back. But I think a lot of that I was really happy about because, you know, it had to be 10 or 12 guys that we had drafted that ended up becoming even more than that, that in terms of like a Sherry as a free agent or Ben Lovejoy as a college free agent and, you know, guys like Gensel and Scotty Wilson and Matt Murray and Rust. And there's, you know, even, you know, Brian Dumont was in the trade for Jordan Stahl. It just, like with anything is when the team wins like that is a contribution from a lot of different people, including the staff that worked for me, no different than in 09. I say this all the time. A lot of that success goes to Craig Patrick and his staff that a lot of the, I mean, that's the way it is. And, but again, I think Jimmy Rutherford did a fantastic job there and um, really happy for him. A lot of respect for Jimmy. And, you know, I think as time went on in particular, you know, when you, another opportunity comes along a couple years later with New Jersey, you can, you know, it's, it was really, I was really happy for, for a lot of the staff that's in Pittsburgh and still there that drafted those kids that it took time and, you know, um, for these guys to come along and, but they did. And, you know, certainly um, Jimmy made some really good moves that really paid off. And, uh, but I was happy and, 
you know, I think that's to look back at that and I'm a lot happier that they won. And a lot of the guys that we had drafted and, and signed or traded for really contributed in a significant way. And uh, for that, you know, I think you, it helps me uh, or GM or me get another job potentially, uh, which I did in Jersey, but I was really happy for our staff that, you know, it took heat at the same time, as you know, it, it's not like the NFL or NBA, you draft guys, they jump right in the lineup or the, you know, they're, there's a position of our cornerback. So it took time and, but I'm happy that paid off for those guys. And so I guess in the end, I'm, and again, I, I, I hired a lot of people there that are still there. So I'm very happy with them. And, and Pittsburgh's a fantastic hockey town and sports town in general. So, um, you know, in retrospect, I'm really happy and pleased, but you know, probably when it first happened, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> and then Jesus. Well, it turned out, I think it was in, in 16, I think they beat, I think San Jose, maybe. Yeah, San Jose. And then next year, maybe Nashville. Nashville was bittersweet because I was in Nashville for eight years. I wanted to see David Poel win a Stanley Cup. Um, certainly Pecorino, guys like that. And, you know, they got close, lost in six games. And um, But, again, I was happy for Pittsburgh. And, again, Randy Saxon was there, so that was good. The St. Lawrence connection, getting to stay in the Cup again. So that paid off. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. It's different for you. It's different for me. One thing is certain, every day there's an opportunity to win. Just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab and go, every day giftable, every day fun. The new lucky number scratcher from the Virginia Lottery. 32 chances to win $500,000 plus four bonus games. Stop by your closest retailer and check it out. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. I think you took one of the hardest jobs in all the sports when you went to New Jersey. And my reason being is that you've had an iconic figure like Lou Lamorello run the team for so long and create this culture completely unique within hockey. There was nothing like it. Um, to players that grew up in the organization, they're used to it. They know what to expect. To players coming from outside, it can be a complete culture shock. And I have to imagine from the management side, you know what you're getting into, but you don't know until you get there. Right. And I'm curious about that, that early overlap with Lou finding, you know, really digging in to find out his methods to be able to ingrain yourself in that organization and put your stamp on it, but still have respect to the way Lou had done things for so long there. Yeah, that's a really, <clears throat> that's a really good point, Mike, you know, until, you know, I knew it wasn't like I had to jump at a job. I mean, I had another year left in my contract with uh, Pittsburgh, but you know, a lot of the was, you know, Josh Harrison, David Blitz were the, the owners. And I was really, um, really keen on what they were about and what they were saying and how they treated Lou. And I was so fortunate that, you know, I, when Lou was coaching at Providence College, when I was at St. Lawrence, played against him. And um, so I've, I've known him, but, and, but even as a, a GM, um, you know, my, it took me probably five years to say hi to him, like at a GM meeting. You're so intimidated, Lou. And it turns sure. out what an incredible person. And, you know, I was so fortunate, um, you know, from David Poyle's standpoint, I was the first GM, uh, AGM he ever had the same thing with Lou Lamorello, but I was came in as GM and, you know, he, he only stayed up for about maybe two and a half months before he went to Toronto. But every day I spent with him just asking questions is why would you do it this way or that way? Or what's your thinking here? And, and he would ask me the same questions and um, he'd raise his eyebrows sometimes at me. And I certainly, raise them what <laughs> really Why would you do but it was really great and it's um i i wouldn't take that two and a half months back for anything and um he's such a 
you know, things aren't, but he was the first to say, you know, there was never, there was, they never had a father's trip before. They, you know, kids weren't really allowed around in the locker room. I grew up a lot. I think that's such a privilege to, as a kid, to, to be around the room. And it's sure there's a time and place yeah. for everything, all of that. And he was so great. And he was just right. Like there, there's change here and you have to do what you do. It's, you're not a rookie doing this and um, I'm here for advice and if you have questions or whatever, but you know, don't how I did. And he was, you know, he, he was new at, someone was uncomfortable for me to change things or do things. And, um, and that's just out of circumstance. I think it was after he went to Toronto, because of course, Lou at his numbers doesn't, you know, the high numbers and all that stuff. But I think it was even though it was Mike Campbell, as we're in 23 and, you know, Mike been in the league a long time. So I let him switch to 13, which no one could really wear 13. Now Nico, he sure does, of course, but um, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult, but so gratifying in retrospect. And then when I was there with Lou and, but it was, you know, you, you mentioned like it's, you know, it, from the outside looking in, you can see how it, in a team, that's why, you know, you, you read, hey, the reporters, they could dissect that team and what's wrong with them, what they should do, really? Like, it's a hard job to be a manager of a team, let alone from the outside looking in. And Lou had all these, as you know, from being around uh, uh, Lou Lamarello, Mike, is, you know, when he makes it, he would always say, Ray, when I make a trade or a signing, Everybody can say it's a good or bad. It doesn't matter. But no one's got the information I have when I make a decision. You know, it's so those things. And, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, I can read the hockey news and it says, you know, New Jersey prospects are ranked 30th. I know there's only 30 teams in the league at the time. I'm like, okay, well, yeah, that was kind of a uphill battle. But at the same time, <clears throat> you know, over the course of, you know, having a plan with ownership and we made the playoffs and it was the third year which is kind of a surprise, 97 points, whatever it was. But um, really, there's a lot of good young players there now. And But, you know, it, it was going to take time. And, you know, making the playoffs, I'm happy we did that third year, 97 points. And it was fantastic to see that building filled. And, um, you know, you know, rookies that like Jesper Bratt and Nico Heischer, Will Butcher, you know, they're so good for that team and as kids. And, you know, that's what you need. And, you know, it's part of a, you know, um, foundation to have some success and, you know, the next year or two, we kind of fell off again. But again, I think they're on their way. And, um, but it was, you know, it's a tough situation going into. And, you know, I've had two GM jobs and my predecessor for New Jersey was Lou Lamorello and um, in Pittsburgh was Craig Patrick. <laughs> I mean, Craig Legends. won two cups there and Hall of Fame. But yeah, so those are, you know, um, but again, it's, uh, it was incredible having that time with Lou Lamorello, which, you know, so many people haven't had. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm happy I did take that opportunity and a lot of good people. And um, you know, Tom Fitzgerald's now the GM in New Jersey, and I hired Fitzy back in 07 back in Pittsburgh, and um, he's done an incredible job. And as I said to him before his first game this year, he's earned every step of the way for himself, no different than he did as a player. So I'm happy for him and uh, excited for his opportunity. How long did it take players to feel comfortable growing beers, having social media, doing things that have been banned for so long? You had to reprogram them in some ways. I mean, did you legitimately get questions from players in training camp or were they walking around like zombies thinking, can I grow a beard or not? I don't know. No, I think right what now. actually, I think um, actually it was so funny. I think, well, there wasn't any beer allowed either. I remember like in the coach's room and stuff. And um, so, you know, we wanted to change that and, um, you know, and I still remember Richie Matthews, a longtime um, equipment trainer now with um, 
great guy in, in Louis St. Louis. And he's, yeah, St. Louis won, you know, the three or four cups now. I can't remember. But, you know, I remember asking, like, in July or August or whatever it was, if you get some beer for the coaches room, they have some meetings, whatever. And he looked at me and, like, what? I'm like, yeah, just give me a, you know, like a beer store out. You get some. Ah, uh, and that was, I think, Louis still there. Well, I don't think Mr. Lemberell liked that. I'm like, well, I don't think he's going to know. Right. <laughs> so Richie walked away. I mean, I get a call like 45 minutes later. Richie's in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. What? He passed out. <laughs> like, what? He passed out. <laughs> yeah. They took Richie to the hospital. I swear to God. And well, Richie was okay. And we got the beer. But that yeah, was a shocker for Richie. So great guy. But yeah, it was a little bit different. Uh, even with the, with the, I think, you know, with, um, you know, the, the hair and the beards and things like that. And, and certainly that was one of the things you mentioned. Like, I didn't want to do things that just, uh, I, nothing was disrespectful at all. And, and Lou never even would have said anything probably, but obviously was in Toronto by the time training camp came around. And I think it was Pete Albeats, um, Pete's the, you know, vice president of, uh, PR communications and um, kind of the go-to for everything. Um, and I remember Pete coming to me, I think before my first training camp in Jersey kind of saying, cause guys are calling him, Hey Pete, like, can we do this? Can we do that? Like, what's the story? And so he's like, the guys want to know, do they, do they have to have their haircut? They have I'm like, it's also presentable. Like, I don't I mean, yeah. they were, they had beards in the playoffs Jersey and they worked three times for him, but you know, Lou had his way there, but I think it's just about, you know, being, professional and we all know professional is and it's no different and Lou it's Lou stuff some of the stuff and I think you know even towards the end with New Jersey I mean they had to wear ties all the time when they traveled and then that got loose even on the minors like on the bus. in the minors really yeah we'd be on you know we'd be in the trash bag on the bus and have to change into the suit <laughs> really so that but that is you know and that, that's you know but that is something and it's you know one of the other things that I think was my first year with New Jersey um, one of the great things that I, I experienced was being around Patty Elias. And um, I mean, he only played 16 games. That was his final year. And, you know, over the next two or three, uh, two or three years, he really, John Hines, who was their head coach, their head coach in Nashville, he was really, uh, Patty was around quite a bit. And, you know, he really was kind of, you know, like the coaching aspect of it. And he was fantastic for me and John, he could have made life miserable for us, but, you know, looking back there, even for him to experience some of the change, like he loves the Lamarello, but that to him, he's glad he experienced that because he never played for their team except the devils. And, you know, for his whole career of, you know, an incredible career and all time leading score for the devils. And, but again, it's, it's different things. And I'm sure when, you know, when we went to Toronto, it was different because, uh, you know, 28 years in New Jersey goes to Toronto and, we, you know, Brendan Shanahan's there, obviously Kyle Dubas was there and there's different people that he's working with, which is different. And I'm sure he enjoyed that. And, you know, certainly the Islanders might be a little bit more like New Jersey where he's totally in control, but, you know, he's, he's done a lot for the game. He's done a lot for people and he's certainly done a lot for me. I was always treated fairly and with respect. And mm -hmm. I value the time I had. They gave me a chance to play in the NHL. It was just a different way of doing things. Yep. How quickly did you say deal on the Hall Larson trade? Um, it was probably pretty quick because it wasn't. I I'd, I'd worked. I talked to Peter Shirelli before the draft that year uh, for a couple weeks for the draft. That's where kind of first got started. And when we got to the draft that maybe Wednesday, something like that, 
you know, I talked to him a few times and all of a sudden we go for the first round on Friday and the second round on Saturday and really nothing. And then I was packing my stuff on Saturday, leaving the draft. I went over to his table. I said, Hey, listen, are you going to call me or like, you know, I'm going to don't have anything going here to so just let me know. I was not no, no, Sorry about that. He goes, we're going back to them tonight or in the morning. And I'll call you a couple of days. Um, and Peter was great just because listen, if, I'm going to go in another direction. I'll let you know. I'm like, great. It wasn't like I was shopping Adam Larson. I like Adam Larson. Um, but the opportunity with Taylor Hall and, and he had, Peter had scouted the league. He wanted a right-hand defenseman and preferably under control. And we had signed the previous year out of those six-year deals. So it was a 24 years old, maybe at the time and right shot defenseman. And it was a matter of, you know, he wanted more. And I said, no, and I probably wanted, but I don't know. And it's, it, it was just, what he needed a side right hand defenseman and, and Adam that was good and I would defend that trade for and the first year keep in mind they made the playoffs in Edmonton, in Edmonton and they lost that thing in the second round to Anaheim and Adam was very good for him and Taylor's first year with us we stunk and he wasn't much better it was the next year we really turned around that's where Taylor Hall the MVP season and um you know, certainly was a good trade for New Jersey and, and certainly was somewhat a good trade for Edmonton and but again, it's, you know, the ability to the, the chance to trade for a kid like Taylor. And and I'm, I'm happy it took him a, another year to win the MVP to have that kind of year because I think it would happen right away for him. Wouldn't have been a meaningful because a lot that he had to go through on and off the ice. And he's become a great pro and I was really happy for him. But big driver of that team that made the playoffs of the 97 points and he got the MVP, which was fantastic. First, Ray, I want to thank you so much for giving your time today. Second, if you have advice for somebody, that's thinking about management, that's thinking about building a culture that's even doing this with mites or squirts in hockey. What would you say to that person? I think, um, I think with anything, it's gotta be fun. I mean, it's gotta be fun in pro hockey. It's gotta be fun in the American league. It's gotta, and it's gotta be fun in terms of, you know, if you're the manager of a mite team or a squirt team, like you're a parent and because USA hockey revolves around volunteers and that's you. And certainly, you know, it's, it's a time to, and that's even part of things in the minors with the AHL coaches and things like that. And everybody thought they developed development for the NHL. Like how many guys are really going to make it really make it three, four guys. I don't know. I mean, well, my handful. And in terms of in, in my thing is, you know, uh, 20 years from now, let's say the, head, the coaches, the American league, listen, all these guys are going to make the NHL and it's not going to make you a failure. But one, you know, the best thing that happened to you is in 15, 20 years, you're getting calls from these guys. You see these guys, they've gone to, to be teachers or lawyers or doctors or anything in their community or, and they become successful. And that's part of the expectation. It's not just turning guys into NHL players. And I think that's part of the, you know, building a, an, an NHL team. It's really everything in terms of the foundation of the minor league and how you operate down there in terms of your scouting. And, and I think part of that is also having fun because it's a serious business, but it's, it's got to have some fun to it too. And you want to work with people and be in the trenches with people, whether it's coaches or staff members or trainers or players that you want to be in those trenches. It gets hard, but you know, you have each other's and you really care for that. And, and that's really what you want. It's no different than, you know, you've had, we've all had, whether it's baseball or hockey, you've, we know what our great experiences have been. We've all had bad experiences in either the classroom or youth sports and, and we know when we have a good one, it's about the camaraderie. It's about the parents. It's about something special that you remember. And that's so different 
but you try to with a culture and an environment uh, for players and coaches, staff, and 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 certainly um, that makes it a lot more beneficial, I think, for everybody involved. Big thanks to Ray Shiro for coming on, telling his story from being the son of a Stanley Cup winning coach of the Broad Street Bullies to his championship with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2009 and on. Fellow Laurentian, an amazing guy. So thanks to Ray Shiro. If you enjoy Six Degrees, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to all your podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on Six Degrees, please contact Believe at BLEAV.com. As always, you can find me, Mike McKenna56, on all the socials. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.